beautiful degenerate angels. We are officially knee deep into the holiday season. I was going to say balls, but this has been a year of immense growth and maturity for me, so I said knee instead. If you are listening on Monday, December 19th, it is the first night of Hanukkah and six days away from Christmas Eve and seven days away from Christmas Day and a little less than two weeks away from New Year's. And as we all know, there is this narrative that is jammed down our throats year after year, incessantly, everywhere we go, which is that Christmas, by the way, it's never Hanukkah or Kwanzaa. It's only Christmas and New Year's Eve, but that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. And in certain ways, this is true, at least in New York, the center of capitalism. The windows of the department stores on Fifth Avenue um, are so creatively designed and absolutely stunning. And a lot of the luxury brands like Cartier and Harry Winston um, deck out the exteriors of their buildings in lights and sparkles that make them look like these huge diamonds. There are pop-up Christmas-themed cocktail bars all over the city and these adorable decorations and pubs and coffee shops and the street lights are wound with glittery things. And, you know, perhaps most importantly, December is the one time of the year that New Yorkers actually say sorry when they bump into each other and let each other get off of the subway car before they try to squeeze their way on. And sometimes... New Yorkers will even make eye contact and exchange a genuine happy holidays with people in their neighborhood. All positive. I personally often reunite with old friends around this time, um, either from high school, which is amazing, or long lost college friends who come to visit. And of course, the holidays, for whatever reason, are an excuse to eat and drink the most decadent stuff you can possibly get your hands on at all times, which is extremely enjoyable until it's not. At the time of sitting down to record this, guys, I had fried Chinese food, aka like the only Jewish holiday fair, three times in the past week and about six martinis total, four of which were bone dry and two of which were lychee lychee martinis, bitch. You guys know I don't really even drink that much anymore. Lychee martinis. (laughs) There's also um, getting and giving presents, which, you know, if you have some money to spend, really rocks. There's no way around it. Gift giving is actually one of my love languages. Um, I think few things are as rewarding as paying close attention to what people in my life talk about or express interest in. And then Um, surprising them with meaningful presents on birthdays or anniversaries and especially Christmas. And I always send out thank you gifts and handwritten cards at the end of the year to everyone who has employed me or helped in my career, just brightened my life in some capacity. And I'm lucky because My parents are still together after 30-something years, and I have an honest and open and mutually loving relationship with them and my brother. And, you know, my childhood home is lovely, and my mom is a great cook, and my dog is a fucking big, dumb, beautiful doodle, and we travel. And in many ways, it's just like utterly, disgustingly dripping in privilege. And there's still tons of drama and trauma. Trust me, it gets dark, y'all. But fundamentally, my family has been the force that's held me up throughout my 20s when I've ranged from being depressed to having full-blown suicidal ideations. And historically, this depression worsens every single December for the same reason as it does for thousands, if not millions, of other people, which is that the pop culture narrative entirely revolves around giving and receiving love. All the stuff we are supposed to do, like decorating and gathering around a fireplace and buying and receiving gifts and drinking champagne and wearing glitter and flirting, all of this revolves around the cultivation of love. And this incessant narrative, ironically, often ends up reminding us, or I I guess I should say like forcing us to acknowledge 
all of the things that we do not have or the ways in which life has disappointed us or not met our expectations. Full disclosure, I'm in the best place mentally than I have been in a really long time. And while the majority of that has to do with a lot of hard work that I've done on my own and very much outside of my family home, I do constantly think about what I would have done and and what I would still do without them. It's grim. And and then I start thinking about how many people do not have grounded family dynamics and how lonely and destabilizing that must be always, but especially during this season that can't shut up about the importance of family and a season that's also very showy and competitive. And then I start thinking about how utterly fraudulent and capitalist the holidays can be and how nobody wants to tell the truth about what's happening behind closed doors for fear of being perceived as lesser than or for fear about being unrelatable. And the truth of the matter is way more people have dysfunctional families than they do the type to like run 5Ks together and eat chestnuts around a roaring fire. Most families are dysfunctional. Even the privileged ones, even the ones that look good from the outside are dysfunctional. So the fact that that dysfunction is seen as taboo, especially within the context of like Christmas, is wild and wrong. This week, I'm very proud to be remixing the kind of cheery, saccharine Christmas content that we've become so accustomed to seeing and hearing by presenting your anonymous stories that are the absolute opposite of quote-unquote joy and peace and cheer all year. Welcome to an hour of pure, raw, familial dysfunction with a cherry on top, y'all. This is what the holidays are actually about. I sincerely hope that everyone listening feels a little less isolated and a little more understood, knowing that you're all not alone in having moments or long stretches of not feeling jolly and bright. I'm here for it. And, you know, no matter how you make it happen, I want you to try to have a few merry moments over the next two weeks, okay? Go TP your neighbor's house or throw eggs at your high school bully or make out with the divorcee that lives across the street or like get blackout off Manischewitz. Anything, okay? I love you. You deserve it. And without further ado, this is the familial dysfunction episode of Tales of Taboo. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. My older sister disowned my family shortly after Christmas 2018, completely to the shock of all of us. I have two half-siblings, and my father remarried my mom, and my mom became a mother figure to both my brother and sister from a very young age. She basically raised them from the ages of three and seven. And then I came along about 10 years later, and I am my mother's only biological child, but I grew up with my siblings being my brother and sister. I, you know, that's always how I thought of them. And I always thought we just had a nice, great, happy family. I never picked up on any dysfunction. I knew that my sister went through some growing pains during her teenage years, but I was just attributed that to just typical teenage rebellion and never thought much of it. So growing up and into adulthood, we always spent Christmases together, always very happy. My parents put a lot of effort into making it a really nice time for everyone. And to my knowledge, it always was. (laughs) And even in adulthood, my sister began hosting Christmas with her family as she had two children and a husband. And it was always really great. They were gracious hosts, made us feel very welcome. And then in the Christmas of 2018, it felt a little off. I could tell something was going on. It felt like my sister and her husband didn't even want to be there, but I just kind of brushed it off and didn't think much of it. 
Come to find out in the new year that my sister in January sent my mother an email in which she accused my mother of never having loved her, never treating her very well, not appreciating her, all which came as a very huge shock to my mom who loves my sister very dearly to this day and to all of us, my brother, my father, extended family, because all we'd ever known was my mother showing her lots of love and affection, helping her, helping my sister out when she was a single mom, raising a child at the age of 19 years old. So this came as a huge shock to all of us. And when I tried to speak with my sister about it and get some information out of her, she just told me I would never be able to understand because I'm our mom's biological daughter and I'm treated differently and I wouldn't be able to understand. My sister refused to respond to my brother, my father, aunts and uncles when they tried to reach out. She doesn't speak to anyone. And it became clear that I was the only one she was speaking to, in which I realized this was too much pressure. I didn't want to speak to her anymore either once I saw the pain that she had caused my parents. So now at Christmas, um, always reminded of this disownment. Our only connection to my sister is through her son, my nephew, and he told us that she moved halfway across the country and legally changed her last name. So the holiday time always just reminds me of this because that's when the disowning happened. And now, since my brother lives out of state with his own family, it's just my parents and I at the holidays. And it feels like a lot of pressure. It feels very lonely. I try really hard to make it a special time for us by cooking and trying to bring the cheer, going to get a Christmas tree and doing all of the things. But the ghost of my sister's abandonment is just always there. So almost five years ago now, I made the difficult decision to set some firm boundaries and ultimately go no contact with my family. Since I was a young girl, I witnessed and endured physical violence from a narcissistic father that struggled with alcoholism and psychological manipulation from a traumatized mother that suffers deeply from what I believe to be undiagnosed and unmedicated bipolar disorder. Um, so as far back as I can remember, our home life was just always a dysfunctional, chaotic mess, but it was always incredibly important to my parents that things appear picture perfect from the outside looking in. In relation to the holiday season, it's an interesting time of year for me. I am now finally in a place where I'm finding healing for the way that things are. Um, although I do believe that this journey of radical acceptance is one that will be lifelong. I can't lie, though. Um, if I let myself think too much about it, I, I do still get emotional sometimes. Um, imagining the rest of my family getting together each year to celebrate and pretending to be one big happy family without me. Growing up, this was my mom's favorite time of the year, and she would go way overboard, like with everything, with decorations. She'd prepare an extravagant dinner every year. Um, We'd decorate Christmas cookies with our family friends and get together with our extended family. We did everything. However, on the other hand, it is such a low-pressure time of year for me now, which I am incredibly grateful for because I know it's not that way for most people. But this time of year definitely does make me feel a little bit ungrounded sometimes, and it's really hard to explain to anyone who still has their family in their lives. At the end of the day, though, I, I chose this. I don't have to worry about the awkward dinner table conversations or a snarky comment when a family member has had a little too much to drink. And I don't have to worry about the stress of traveling back to my hometown or 
having to explain my unconventional job for the thousandth time or the overall discomfort of just feeling like the one that doesn't belong. I've finally learned to trust myself and trust my judgment again. The only other thing that I really want to say is if you happen to be spending the holiday season disconnected from your roots or just alone in general, I just want to acknowledge that it may feel like no one understands, but there are so many resources out there and there are so many people out there who have been through similar things. Written submission number one. Usually when you hear about an older, straight, married couple cheating, it's the husband. But in this case, it was my mom. I won't go into the details of their marriage, but it was not loving. They were a bad match and probably never should have gotten married in the first place. Throw a lot of emotional immaturity and mental illness into the mix, and you just get a bad combination all around. My parents had been married for 25 years when I found out about their separation. My mom told us that she was moving out of our childhood home, and three weeks later, we all showed up for Thanksgiving there as if nothing had happened. Four months later, her boyfriend moved into her new apartment. I didn't know how long she was seeing this person before she and my dad separated, but I know they knew each other for at least a year before that point. Long story short, she had accidentally left me a voicemail where I could hear her talking to a man in a car, and when I asked her about it later, I caught her in a lie. We never spoke about it again. But when all of this went down a year later, I put two and two together. I know my dad knows there was infidelity, but I have no idea to what extent. My parents are very civil with one another. Holidays now involve us getting together and no one bringing up the fact that my mother lives with a man none of us have met. My dad has a girlfriend now too, and we don't talk about that either. There's this huge unspoken strain on my relationship with both of them, but especially my mom. The holidays and being around my family bring up all these feelings year after year, and it's made me lose my love of the holiday season. I really feel for anyone who deals with tough family dynamics during the holidays. It's so hard. I find myself reverting to this angsty teenage version of myself when we're all together, and it's not cute. I got married this year, and that's added another layer of complexity and resentment to the whole situation. It makes me reflect on my relationship, cheating, and the effects that relationships can have on the people around them. I now have this identity of someone who dreads seeing their family over the holidays, someone who tries to minimize the amount of time spent with them. And it makes me sad. Holiday Horror Story 2019 My family lives in a pretty small town a couple hours from me, so I don't see them or hear from them super often. So anytime I get a call from someone, it's usually an emergency. My dad calls me while I'm at work one day. This is about like two weeks before Thanksgiving, I think, maybe three. And he tells me that he can't find my sister and that he hasn't heard from her in over a week. I made a bunch of calls. I was looking at like the hospitals and stuff like that. And I got a hold of the woman that she was living with and she tells me that she's been in jail and I'm like oh what why won't tell us anything so my dad who has himself been in and out of prison made some calls to some of his friends I guess that still work there and he found out that she was in there for trafficking meth I can't remember exactly what all of her charges were but she got caught leaving a party and told us that she just had like a little small thing of meth on her and that she was selling it for the person who was driving the car. Well, then it comes out that there was actually like a couple pounds, I think it was, of meth in the trunk and they got pulled over. It was this whole plan thing because the people that she was working for were like part of this big meth ring or some shit like that. And They had been watched by the authorities for quite a long time and the drug bust was like, it was planned and she had no idea. She was living in some like halfway house with these people. Um, And so she ended up getting off pretty easily because she wasn't as involved as everybody else. But it was still a pretty big deal and she had a lot of time that she was looking at. But all of the meth stuff aside... She was also only 19 at the time that this happened. So then Thanksgiving rolls around. She is there 
And she decides to also tell us that she was pregnant with a guy who was engaged to somebody. And that like lightly sums up the holiday horror story, one of many. She faced drug charges for like a really, really long time um, and ended up in and out of jail a couple times after that. But luckily, this last year has been pretty mild for holidays for her. But who knows what Christmas holds? I am an only child, and my parents divorced when I was nine because my dad was not faithful to my mom. I knew from an early age that he had bipolar disorder. On top of that, a few years after my parents divorced, he developed PTSD because he's a first responder and experienced a traumatic event while on the job. After that happened, he became an alcoholic and refused to get help. However, even when he is quote-unquote well, he gets incredibly depressed around the holidays. However, when he's drinking and not taking his medication like he has been recently, it's a thousand times worse this time of year. I'm not sure why he's so miserable around the holidays, but it's just been this way my whole life. Um, I don't know anything different, really. He had a messed up childhood, so I think it stems from that. As far as living with someone like him, there were many, many holidays when my parents were married and my dad didn't come home the night before or would act out in the days leading up to the holiday. Um, I got used to, at an early age, hearing things such as um, your holiday have. Um, referring to either me or both me and my mom. Uh, we have no one to spend the holidays with and things like, I just want a happy family. Um, but honestly, his actions around the holidays were always more serious than the things he would say. Um, so around this time of year, his drinking and like erratic behavior just gets so much worse. I haven't had a relationship with my dad for about a year and a half because um, he started drinking really bad and he got off his meds. This year, in the weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, he has been posting absolutely or was posting horrible things on his public social media pages about both me and my mom. Christmas is, you know, in just over a week. And he's already been posting mean things on social media about both me and my mom. Um, he's been sending emails to us, to our lawyer, um, really, really just insulting things. But none of it is uh, as bad as what happened last Thanksgiving and last Christmas. So on Thanksgiving, my dad had been calling me all day and as like a boundary I just didn't want to talk to him um so I could try to have a good holiday um but that night I had convinced myself that if I didn't talk to him on Thanksgiving I was just a bad daughter um so when he called me that night I answered and when I did he was so drunk and incoherent um he was so mean and I remember he made me cry um so I hung up and then that Christmas, so last Christmas, um, he sent a really manipulative email to me um, that he revealed a family secret um, that my mom never wanted to tell me because she knew it was going to hurt me. Um, it's not like a bad thing or anything. It was just something she never planned on telling me. Um, and so, like, suddenly on what was supposed to be a happy day, um, were suddenly just like in the throes of a very deep conversation about this thing that my mom wanted to move on from years ago. So that's pretty much just like summarizing my dad. Like even if he's not physically like present in our lives, he still finds ways to just kind of antagonize us and make our holidays miserable too. Written submission number two. My parents got divorced when I was very young. My dad and I were close, especially when I was younger. But he was very addicted to alcohol and drugs, and that put stress on our relationship as I got older and grew more resentful. 
As is common with divorced parents, my holidays were split. I always used to spend the Thanksgiving holiday with my dad's side of the family. My grandma had a huge dinner with lots of people, and I really loved it. The first year I did not visit for Thanksgiving, I was 20 years old. I had to work, and I just couldn't make it happen. I remember talking to my dad on the phone on Thanksgiving Day and getting into a big fight. I have no recollection what the fight was about, but all of my anger from two decades came out, and I told him I never wanted to see him again. You know the phrase, be careful what you wish for? He passed away eight days later. The guilt and shame I felt was unbelievable. I immediately fell into the very thing that ended up killing him, drugs and alcohol. I isolated, I partied, I partied again, a cycle I clung on to for longer than I'd like to admit. I eventually got myself into therapy and started working through everything, and I continue to do so. But every November, something comes over me and I feel all of those feelings of grief, shame, and loneliness. This year was the 16th anniversary of my dad's passing. Some years are harder than others, and this one was particularly tough. I'm so grateful to have a husband that supports me however I need in that moment, but I know, now in my mid-30s, this is how my holidays will likely feel for a long, long time. So I have a bit of a unique situation uh, where I grew up overseas and we didn't really celebrate Christmas. It wasn't until I came to the U.S. for college uh, that I did, and I absolutely love uh, holiday season. I love the decorations, just how magical everything feels. So growing up overseas, my dad was the first person to come to America, and he left when I was really young. I didn't really see much of him growing up, and I saw him maybe once or twice. And the crazy thing is we didn't have internet for the longest time, so it was really hard to um, get in touch with him. He would call about once a month, and um, even when my parents were together, I don't really remember that, but um, he, my dad is a serial cheater, so he cheated on my mom over and over, and uh, she stayed with him uh, because, you know, overseas, third world country, um, you know, if if you get divorced and you're a woman, it's kind of your fault. And uh, she was worried about losing her custody of us. Uh, but at the same time, she was working full time and taking care of us, making sure our basic needs were met. But she wasn't really there, you know. Um, so there's that. That's one reason why I dislike my dad. And then fast forward to when I was uh, still a teenager, I finished high school back home, and then I moved to the U.S. Um, and I lived with my dad and his and my stepmom. So my parents kind of stayed together up until high school. And uh, during high school, they got, they got divorced. And the divorce was so messy. Uh, I ended up you know, being so upset over it. I dated this drug dealer and he was not a nice guy and it just just made one bad decision after the other. So when I came here, uh, my dad married my stepmom and she would like always have like a Christmas tree and I I, I liked it. It was it was nice, but it, it didn't it didn't feel like I was with family because I didn't really have that emotional connection with my dad. Um, I never resolved these issues with him and he never really took responsibility whenever I confronted him, telling him how much his actions hurt me. He would just say, oh, well, you know, I had, I was in a rough situation. It was rough and I didn't know what to do. And, you know, and he just refused to take responsibility and to actually apologize. Um, so I lived with him for a while throughout college and then, um, I graduated college, and now that I live on my own, I like barely keep in contact with him. Um, I, I tend to spend the holidays with my uh, friends' family, and I tend to befriend people that have just amazing families, which makes me resent my family even more. Uh, because I know families have issues, but then I see how loving they are. Um, for example, my friend, she gifted her parents these like little booklets where you like write a letter to your um, sister or like mother or father like every day and then um, in December and then you gift that to them and that was just like so cute and like you get to write all the things you love about them so even though that was so cute and I was you know happy for her I just 
I just could not help that stab of jealousy. Uh, just makes me resent my parents. I don't remember us having, you know, that nice time as a family. Um, so holiday time is especially hard because it just reminds me that I don't have that and I will never have it. Um, makes me scared to even have children or pass on to them all of that, all these issues and mental illness. Uh, I still love holiday season. It's fun. I love the lights. I love the atmosphere. But it's also a a very um, strong reminder of the stuff that I just did not have. Written submission number three. When my parents separated, I knew it was going to be messy, but nothing ever prepared me for the mess that was about to come. My father is a diagnosed narcissist, and like the good fake Christian he was, he'd make us go to the midnight mass every single year. If we didn't make it, he'd thoroughly remind us that we were going to hell. That is, until he decided Jesus wasn't doing it for him anymore and mangled the family in the process. He found a girlfriend who almost made him have another child, 18 years after me, but it didn't last. Probably because they stalked each other and her son was racist towards my brother who's black, but I digress. Next Christmas, he gave his heart to someone else special, a woman he randomly met on a photography app. Ever since, we have been forcibly graced by her presence. Christmas, she was there. New Year's, she was there. She has the personality of a rubber band. My mom is also forced to come as well, at the threat of him not paying her child support. Why does my father want his ex and his girlfriend at the table with us, you will ask? Baffles me, really. Mom and dad are not on good terms. She's hated him, devotedly, ever since his first extramarital affair. At first, she obliged coming to the holidays, but as time went on, this started to become a yearly occurrence that didn't make sense. My grandparents did not have the strength to fight it. They complied to his request of their participation at the dinners because I think they've given up on him and life. For me, it's hilarious in a very ironic sense. We went from having values as strict as the medieval times to being the image of a messed up extended family, all thanks to the same guy. My father is lucky I find the situation funny because, as boring as these holidays are, they make me want to get on the next flight available to Aruba and never see him again. So the, my craziest story uh, that took place over Christmas was the Christmas of 2002, I guess. I was 16, 17, and it was the dinner of the 24th, and uh, I was totally drunk. I went for drinks with uh, my friends in my hometown. And even though I was underage, uh, we managed to get drinks and uh, it was 2002. So it was pretty easy to get drinks even in bars. So by the time of the dinner, I was totally wasted. And I went to the dinner with my family, my grandparents, my parents, my auntie, my uncle, my cousins. So everybody's super young, like compared to me. And I don't know exactly why, but totally out of the blue, I end up kissing my uncle. Was he hot? But I don't know. I mean, yeah, he was pretty cute. And at that time, I bet he was 40 something. And I don't know how that happened. I was totally wasted. I know suddenly the drama started and I left and they were running behind me in the street. And I remember that they were talking to me in the street, but I have like a blackout of what happened that night. I only remember kissing him. And yeah, when I was a kid, I remember to find him attractive because I spent most of the time with my auntie and my uncle, no, with my parents, they were the fun ones, taking me to the beach and to the swimming pool. So yeah, that, that was pretty much the story. And of course, after that happened, we never, ever, ever had a conversation about that night ever again. And because it was so much going on in my family at that moment in history, this went just under the carpet, one story more for the book. And nowadays, we have a chill relationship. <laughs> there is no drama over dinner. And it's sadly, I was that drunk that I don't remember anything. And I don't know how my auntie, she could talk to me after that. 
believe me, it's like a period of my life that is really foggy because of the amount of alcohol I was drinking and I was in a family where it was a lot going on, like uh, my father uh, my father is bipolar, my mother had depression and uh, we live in a really isolated area at that time. So everything together, it was like, I was a totally crazy teenager, like uh, thanks to luck, I finished high school. <laughs> this story didn't have any repercussions in my family, father, that we could not be together anymore or the topic was brought to conversation ever again and nothing happened. Written submission number four. I love the holidays, but in a nostalgic, lonely sort of way that fluctuates between cozy and isolated. I'm 25 years old and in graduate school and have really never known a time where I'm not stressed and studying for finals mid-December. The loneliness stems from two places, and it's a double-edged sword. When I'm on social media, I compare myself to my friends and peers who have real jobs and aren't in school anymore. They get to enjoy the holidays, or at least aren't knee-deep in finals prep during what is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. It's like the holiday music and movies are mocking me with their holiday spirit. But when I'm not on social media, I also feel very alone. When I see my friends enjoying themselves, I'm reminded that the holidays can be joyous and their joy makes me feel less alone. My brother and I are also healing our relationship after years of emotional turmoil, and it's difficult when we go to family events. It's important to my parents that we maintain a very composed, unbreakable, perfect family image, so even being around extended family and friends can feel lonely because I spend all of my time concerned with image maintenance. The comparison and lack of honesty makes me feel very alone. I'm also not currently in a relationship, and when I go to holiday events, I can feel the absence of the person I wish was with me. I'm also very reflective this time of year, and I think about my past relationships and the relationships I'm trying to cultivate in the future. This reflection can be beneficial, but it can also quickly shift into fixation on how alone I am and what my life would be like if I prioritized my relationships over work. I think the holidays will always hold a bit of loneliness for me, even when I'm the most fulfilled. But I also think that small moments of loneliness might not be the worst thing. Being lonely helps me tune in with myself, and I know that I will never take the moments I'm not alone for granted. This drama took place Thanksgiving 2019. Um, My husband John and I had just gotten engaged and moved into our first house. We thought it would be nice to invite some of John's family down and host in the new place. So John's twin brother Paul, little sister Lizzie, and dad Steve all came down to visit. Um, We also wanted to do something nice for Steve because he was having a really hard time dealing with his pending divorce with their mom Betsy. Um, At the time, as a part of the divorce, uh, Steve and Betsy were in the beginning processes of selling the family home, which was right outside of London. Um, To note, during this time, Betsy is living in Germany and Steve is living with his oldest daughter in New York. Um, Just a tiny little backstory. Um, Steve and Betsy are from the Midwest. But Steve was actually a Russian linguist for the Air Force during the Cold War. And so he got stationed in the UK, and then Betsy ended up becoming a teacher for that same Air Force base. Um, Then after living in the UK, all their four kids eventually moved to the U.S. for college. And after their youngest, Lizzie, left in 2016, Betsy got a convenient transfer to work on a new Air Force base in Germany. So Steve and Betsy were doing a long-distance marriage for a while with Steve still in London doing some consulting stuff and Betsy teaching in Germany. Um, Their divorce was announced in the summer of 2018, uh, Betsy being the main driving force of this, wanting to leave Steve, um, if the whole moving to Germany thing wasn't a red flag. But uh, knowing they were going to sell the house, Steve decided to move back to the U.S., so he moved in with Megan. Um, So back to this Thanksgiving Uh, We have Thanksgiving dinner. Everything goes well. We had noticed Steve is a little off, but, you know, we chalk it up to he's going through a hard time. But also he's being sketchy, like sneaking off, looking at his phone a lot. Um, It's the morning after Thanksgiving, and Steve and I were awake before anyone else. So I asked him, hey, do you want to go to the gym together and do an after Thanksgiving workout? Steve is really into fitness, so I thought it could be a good little bonding moment. Um, so we go to the gym 
And I noticed at the gym, he's still looking at his phone a lot and like getting increasingly aggressive in his workout, which is just like a weird thing in general to see your father-in-law doing. But um, as we leave, I ask him, I'm like, hey, like, are you okay? What's up? Um, This man was not okay on many levels. And thus ensues a very enlightening 20-minute drive home. Um, So this weekend, it had been decided that over Thanksgiving, Betsy was going to travel from Germany back to to London to clean out her stuff and take everything she wanted from the house back to Germany. So Steve proceeds to tell me that the week before this, he had flown to the house in London, and there he had installed hidden cameras inside the home specifically to spy on Betsy because he knew she would be bringing her new German lover, Claude. So Betsy has no idea that these cameras are there and that Steve is actively spying on her. Also, Claude is 100% with Betsy, um, and there is sound on these cameras because Steve goes, she took him upstairs, I can hear them, in our room, because I guess he had the decency not to put cameras in the bedroom, And then he's like, look, then shows me a screen capture of this man Claude's bare ass, which I could have done without. I believed you, Steve. I didn't need to see proof. I'm like, okay, so is this what you were looking at all day yesterday? He he says yes, and he's like, I can't help it. And I'm just like, no, why would you do this to yourself? Not to mention like, hey, it's really fucked up. I'm also like, you're here with the kids, Steve, not Betsy. I mean, at this point of the divorce, people had been taking sides and, you know, everyone was on Steve's side because it was pretty blatant Betsy had been having an affair with Claude, you know, pre-divorce announcement. Um, In fact, all the siblings just kind of had a suspicion that was the case, but no one had actual proof until Steve divulges to me in this same car ride that a month before the divorce was announced to the family that he and Betsy had a phone call. Betsy said she couldn't talk when Steve called because she was out at a bar with a girlfriend. But then Betsy forgets to hang up the call and starts talking to her girlfriend about Claude and how she wants to leave Steve for Claude, blah, blah, blah. Um, So affair confirmed. Steve is spying. I have all the family secrets. I guess Steve just views me as like a neutral third party. I, I don't know. But then we pull into the driveway and Steve is like, can you please not tell John, Paul, or Lizzie about this? I honestly forget what my response was because, like, of course I'm telling them. I'm super close with John and his siblings. So I go inside and I'm like, okay, I'm going to shower. Um, Our room is upstairs, like, in a primary suite that, like, no one else can access. John's asleep, so I wake him up and I'm like, tell him everything. We text Paul. Paul comes upstairs. We tell him everything. And then Lizzie's downstairs talking to Steve. And uh, we text her. She comes upstairs. We tell her everything. I mean, she, as soon as we told Lizzie, though, she's very, like, strong-willed, independent, speaks her mind. She immediately marches down the stairs and tells Steve he's weird, he needs to stop, it's illegal, it's not good for his mental health. Essentially, it all ends in a family, like, Steve intervention. I don't know, sorry, Steve, but, like, also, I'm not going to not tell them. Bro needed help, for sure. Written submission number five. I'm from what would typically be known as a British middle-class white family. Middle-class in that we've always had enough money coming in to be comfortable in life, to be well-fed and have enough warm bedrooms for our family of four-plus guests, but by no means wealthy. My childhood was always good. Myself and my brother had a decent education. We were always guided, loved by my married parents, and grew up in a quaint part of the UK. To the outside, or the less privileged, it was a wonderful upbringing. I'm well aware that we were very lucky. This, though, is just one of the reasons why, when I reflect on how my childhood has negatively affected me as an adult, and specifically during the holidays like Christmas, there is a thick layer of guilt that hangs over me, because there is, of course, always someone who had it worse, and the last thing I want is to come across as spoiled or hard done by. The media rams home the idea that Christmas is a time for family, and whilst I don't necessarily disagree, I always find I have to psych myself up for it. I have to prepare myself for the inevitable. The gifts that will never be right, the opinions that will always be wrong, the times that will have to bite my tongue and the questions that I don't want to answer. No less, the feeling that I should be having a lovely time. Christmas is the perfect stage for my mother's barrage of contradiction and projection. She's a difficult character. 
She so desperately needs to be right that she argues even when she realizes that she's wrong. She so desperately needs to be needed that she smothers anyone and everyone with imposing opinions and gestures guised as care. Worst of all, she so desperately needs to be loved that she's willing to manipulate those she feels should love her. She would literally take a bullet for you, but she'd never let you forget it. I am forever torn between unconditionally loving her as my mother and not actually liking who she is as a person. A feeling guilty for not being an emotionally doting daughter but standing up for my beliefs and boundaries, something which she, ironically, taught me. Of being angry and resentful towards her for creating negative behavioral patterns in me, but also feeling sorry for her because there's clearly trauma there that she refuses to address. And for the record, she would be unequivocally offended if anyone ever suggested she did. The amount of pressure I feel to keep the peace during the holiday season is immense. Everyone has to get on just because it's Christmas. Everyone has to be thankful because it's Christmas. I have to ignore the constant guilting, shaming, diminishing, nitpicking, comparing, badmouthing, manipulating, and reframing because it's bloody Christmas. Why don't you just ignore it all, I hear you say? To which I will mention the giant fish tank that just exploded in the lobby of a hotel in Germany. Years of pressure building, of trying to maintain a calm environment where beautiful fish can thrive, but becoming weaker and weaker as time goes on. The glass could not just ignore the water pressure. Throw in the added expectation of a perfect Christmas and the pressure becomes unbearable. I'm not looking for sympathy, and I'm fully aware of my privilege. I also feel the need to clarify that my mother isn't a bad person. She fundamentally has a good heart, and I know that deep down she means well, which is probably why I'm so torn up about my feelings towards her. But she is the main reason that the holidays for me are awash with conflicting and ever-changing emotions, a morbid dance of hope and disappointment, love and hate, relief and resignation. Holidays have always been a trigger point for my mom, especially since none of my siblings or I live at home anymore. Her issues with alcohol really intensified after her separation with my father and got even worse when her mom passed away a few years later. She got a DUI when I was in high school, which was really traumatic for me because I was the one that got the call from her. However, she passed it off as a fluke and said she would never do it again because of how terrible and scary jail was, which, to my knowledge, she has never driven drunk again. Christmas of 2020 is when we realized just how bad things had become. Me and two of my siblings had quarantined for a few weeks before Christmas so that we could be with our mom. We had rented a cabin in the mountains and were going to drive up once everyone arrived. Once we got to our hometown, she would seemingly start fights out of nowhere and was being really secretive, probably because she was drunk and hiding alcohol all over the place. All of this came to a head when we wanted to drive up to the mountains um, together, but she insisted that we meet her there. We all knew that it was a bad idea because of how erratic she had been acting, but there really was no convincing her. After hours of us waiting for her at the mountain house, we found out that she had not even left our home yet. So at this point, my siblings and I were very angry and exhausted with her behavior. We could tell that she was drunk by the way she was slurring her words, and she was just not comprehending a single thing that we said, and it quickly turned into a really, really massive fight and honestly one of the worst nights of my life. She was saying incredibly dark things about how depressed she was and how she didn't like being a mom. She was angry at us for calling out her behavior and her alcoholism, and honestly, I think she was just really embarrassed. We were just trying to spend a good Christmas together after a really terrible year and just felt like she couldn't put the bottle down long enough to get sober and just drive up to the mountains. She has gone through withdrawals before and I, I honestly just think she was really scared to experience them again and to just confront us and after all that she had been doing and how terrible she had been acting. She did eventually make it up to the mountains, though, and we had a decent time after the fact. I would say that this event was really the catalyst for her recovery. It made it very clear to all of us, including her, that she had a problem, and for a while it seemed like things were getting better. It seemed like she wasn't drinking and that she was in a really, really good place. She's in the process of moving into a new home and out of our old childhood home, and it's just separating herself from a lot of the things that trigger her. 
But like I said, holidays are one of those unavoidable triggers. Right before Thanksgiving this year, one of my brothers texted in our sibling group chat that he thinks mom might be drinking again. We didn't really know how to address it before we got to Thanksgiving because we could not confirm it. But when we got there, it was pretty clear that she was drinking again. Um, The holidays are super stressful for her and her undiagnosed anxiety makes it even worse. So she turns to drinking, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. However, my mom, like I mentioned, gets really erratic and emotionally unstable, and she takes that out on us, her four children, and it's just really difficult. I just want to end this by saying I love my mom to death, and sorry. Watching her struggle with this has been really, really terrible and really hard. I'm so sorry. Um, But she's been a really good mom even in her worst moments, and I really hope that she can find a good place of recovery again because I think everyone deserves that, and I think she deserves that. Once again, my degenerate angels, I'm Allie Weiss, and this has been Tales of Taboo. Congratulations on surviving another trip into the underworld, and make sure to collect your souvenir photo on the way out. Just kidding. There is no souvenir photo, but there is merch on my website, www.alleyweissworld.com. We've got the cutest sweatshirts and G-strings ready to cover your body in love. But if you're pinching your pennies but still want to support, the most helpful thing you can do is leave a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. I know all hosts ask for this and it's high key annoying, but in my case, the more reviews the show has, the easier it is for new listeners to find the show and become future anonymous contributors, which means more entertainment and powerful life lessons for you. Also, please tell a friend and an enemy about this episode if you think it will resonate with them, because word of mouth marketing means I won't have to do something that will embarrass you all, like participating in an Instagram giveaway. Anyway, I hope that you enjoyed your hour with me, and I look so forward to seeing and hearing from you next week. Until then, be good. Follow Tales of Taboo on TikTok at Tales of Taboo and on Instagram at Tales of Taboo Pod. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Ali Weiss World. Tales of Taboo is part of the Eve Podcast Network and a Forever Dog production. Produced and narrated by Ali Weiss. Edited by Isabel McMahon. Executive produced by Mariah Nicholas. Intro by Chris Stephopoulos. Forever Dog Productions is Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Brett Boehm.